Hi. Hey, Luke. How are you? Good. Can I, can I tell you about something? So I'm late. Do you want to know why I'm late? You had to take your dog for a walk? Well, I had to take the dog out, but then I had to talk to Erin about something because she was worried about, she was worried about, about Everly. Now, when I was single, um, I was never annoyed, exactly, uh, probably a little bit too much, um, to the point where there was a tingle every time I had to winkle. It's not true at all. I'm flying out of STD. I did not. <laughs> you, should, you should probably cut that out with my new job and whatnot. Okay. Um, <laughs> when I was single, I would never get annoyed when married people said they were they were extremely busy or things like that because they had kids or just because of, you know, just because they were married. But I never viewed it differently either. Okay. In terms of like how busy I was compared to how, how busy they they were. And now that I've been married for uh, five years and that we have a kid, I still think that that's true, but it's a different kind of busy. Part of it is just getting older and in your 30s. But when you are single, especially when you are younger or starting to become a little bit busier, you're able to get blocks of time. It can feel overwhelming, but you've got your blocks. Yeah, You've got your, you know, I've got to work from 8 to 5. I'm going to have dinner that I've got to help out. I'm going to hang out with my friends from like, you know, like 5 to 10. Or I'm going to help out with this thing over the church from almost 6 to 9, you know, or something like that. So you've, you've got your blocks, right? Yeah. When you have kids, the kid takes away part of those blocks, like of the stuff you can't be as involved as you once were. But with the kid, it's kind of different because you think you have a block and then all of a sudden there's just shit everywhere <laughs> and you have to deal with the shit. Literally. Poop. Literally. Poop. Human, yeah. human feces. You go, oh, this juice, this thing is not pee on my shirt. This is like waste from the anus uh, that has uh, been discharged onto my shirt. Uh, uh, yes. Okay. And I touch this. And then I touch my phone, you know, and different things like that. And things like that happen not on a daily basis, but fairly often. It's not always human feces or different bodily or bodily fluids, but it can yeah. be things like, um, oh, you have you're screaming right now. We don't know why. Oh my gosh, you have you have diarrhea. Sorry. Oh my gosh, you are constipated. We need to deal with that. You have the exact opposite issue. You know, different things like that. And that's still like a bodily issue. But I'm trying to, you know what I mean? Like, there's just these different things where it's just like, oh, I, I have everything I'm doing, everything I had planned is now pushed back. And there's nothing, there's like nothing I can do about it. There's yeah. nothing. Yeah. There's not a damn thing. Is there something that is getting in your way with your own personal happiness or is preventing you from trying to achieve your goals? Listen, 2021 is a lot like 2020. Everyone's having a hard time right now, and that is okay. Help is out there. You can find help right now. With BetterHelp, they can actually get you a match with your own professional licensed therapist within um, 48 hours. They are not a crisis line. It is not a self-help thing. It is professional counseling done up secure online and we have the catching foxes on the listeners from all of the country even canada anyone anywhere in the world can get help through betterhelp help.com
here is the deal. Once you just start, I'm living a happier life today. But I'm going to tell you that it actually really does work. I know some people who've gotten some great help, pun intended, from BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. This podcast is, is sponsored by BetterHelp, and Catching Foxes um, listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash foxes. Catching Foxes listeners get 10% off, off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash foxes. Yeah, you know, and you, then you add four. <laughs> I know. It's a thing I was just thinking about. It's like, how? How do you do this besides poorly? Uh, anything worth doing is worth doing poorly. Do, 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 do. Yeah, we had, uh, you know, like every time we had a kid, I got the older ones and my wife got the baby. And that was how we rolled. Okay, right? that makes sense. You just in, she was to invest in the baby, and I was to invest in everything else, and it was awesome and exhausting all at the same time. But you just got to power through, bro. You just got to power through, you know. Yeah, I guess. I guess. Like I have today, such respect for all you. Today, I got to work at seven thirty, and then I had no. Nah, it was closer to eight. Closer to eight, and then uh, I had a meeting at nine to nine thirty, ten to ten forty five. 11 to 1230, uh, 1230 to one. And then another meeting from one to two. Then I had a phone call from two fifteen to two thirty, Uh, and then I had another meeting and then I went and met my wife at, uh, at our children's new, um, at a rec center where they were learning baseball and volleyball. The boys were playing baseball. The girls playing volleyball. It's one of those skills camps. Yeah. <laughs> It was good fun. And uh, and then I left halfway through that in order to go record a video by myself for our church and then teach a class for two hours. So really the answer is just have your wife do everything while you go to work. <laughs> That's Michael Gormley way. Haven't touched a, a dryer in 15 years. I haven't touched a dryer in 15 years, nor uh, the sensual touch of a woman in five. <laughs> But you have a kid who's four. <laughs> yeah. Wait a second. <laughs> that math don't work. I may have not taken any sort of math um classes while I was in college. God bless you being a uh, being a um, liberal arts <laughs> thing over at Franciscan. Oh. But oh. um hey, hey, can I can I tell you something? Mm-hmm. Uh please do. I am now COVID free. Yay! Oh, praise him. But I'm also tired. Mm -hmm. But I feel energized just talking with my Gomer. So you're welcome. Happy to be here. Oh, and we only have three ads today. We've already recorded all of them. If you want to just pop them in. Awesome. That makes my heart. That makes my chubby little heart feel happy. Luke, can I tell you something funny? Can I tell you something funny? Oh, yes. Yes. You you have a a topic, but I want to do it. Good one. I have you a, got a topic. It's, it's a classic Luke style one. Um, yeah, it, Luke just sent me one sentence, and so that's a topic. But this is not a topic. I'm, I'm not. I'm not doing a topic here. I just want to point out something that happened to me. So the other day, I re-download a new document. I haven't finished it called "The Reciprocity Between Faith and the Sacraments." As we talked do. about it with the whole symbolism episode or symbology. symbolism. <laughs> um, the symbology yeah. behind that. So we did a two or three part episode on that, and uh, so I reread it. Uh, because I want to do, uh, I want to offer a retreat on it, and I began thinking about it, puzzling over it, and I reread it, and I felt like, wow, this really does nail down a lot of the problems, and the main problem essentially being 
when you adopt a scientific worldview, not only does things like the printing press, the medium become the message and, and change your the actual formation of your brain, but science itself, the Enlightenment, post-Enlightenment, Renaissance, whatever, alters what we view as true and false and fact and, you mm. know, and so um, in going through that, right, they said that that's what leads to a diminishment of the sacraments is the sacraments actually communicate what they symbolize. So symbolic representation no longer means anything in a scientific culture. So then I meet with the kid that I thought I was going to meet with for an hour. It turned out to be almost three hours straight from six to almost nine o'clock at night. And he sits down and he says, I really struggle with the Bible. It's all a bunch of symbolic crap that means nothing. And it's so silly and it's not real and it doesn't mean it. And the whole time I'm like, I literally just read this today. <laughs> and I'm watching it in, be incarnate right in front mm. of me. And it was fascinating. This kid said, like, why do I need the story of Noah? Like, that's such a stupid story. And I said, okay, well, let me break it down to you how I just broke it down to the high school kids. And I kind of walk through it and go through he that. got and drunk like, and then had sex with random people. It was beautiful. Um, no, so we kind of go through it, and it was really fascinating because as he's trying to advocate for an, uh, a non-God position, maybe God exists, maybe he doesn't. It's, it might not be impossible, but certainly improbable. That's what he said. He, he couldn't bring himself to admit that there was truth in these things. And I said, well, let's take look at Dante. Look at Shakespeare. None of those stories were true, but they told a truth that is more important than historical fact of did, did Julius Caesar really mm -hmm. say et tu brute? Mm -hmm. Or is the phrase et tu brute the most powerful phrase symbolically of what a man betrayed by one of his best friends can say when he's stabbing him in the back literally and staring into his eyes? And you too, Brutus? Yeah. Right? And, you know, and Dante's Inferno, um, Satan chomping on the three traitors of Cassius, Brutus, and Judas. And yet the very deepest level of hell is actually frozen, and, and it's for the betrayers. Like, symbolically, that is true. That is more true than that black holes exist, right? Because it tells you something real about conscious reality. And we were going through it, and it was so fascinating. And then he tried to justify, like, life. And, and this is the statement that I said to Shannon. I said, honey... It still shocks me that this kid coming from a devout Roman Catholic family, the things he disagreed with the most were nothing more than caricatures of Christian doctrines, right? To him, heaven was this floating paradise in the clouds. Interesting. Right? Like it's this floating paradise in the clouds where you don't, where you go if only you know who Jesus is. And everyone who doesn't know who Jesus is goes to a place of eternal conscious torment. And he said, it seems to me that if God judges anyone, that's not really true. We judge ourselves. And I said, how do you mean? He said, well, it's like if heaven really does exist and I'm an evil person, then clearly I don't deserve to be there. So I would probably be like if God revealed heaven to me, I would probably be like, yeah, I don't deserve to be here. I'm going to go to hell. And he goes, but. You know, it just seems kind of lame that God's like, well, you didn't believe in Jesus, so you have to go to hell. And I was like, wow. I was like, literally, your atheistic view is closer to what the church literally teaches in the catechism. In a certain sense, every person condemns themselves by their actions uh, in, in, in the judgment. If you go look it up in the Christ judges the living and the dead in the first part of the catechism, that's literally what it says. And he's like, what? 
was like, yeah, heaven, look at the book of Revelation. The culmination of God's saving work is the heavenly Jerusalem comes down to a new heaven and a new earth. The point is not to get up there. It's to renew down here through the up there, right? What do we pray in the Our Father? And it was fascinating that heaven and hell, belief in Jesus, what it means to be moral, uh, who God is, what the Bible is, they were all the silliest straw men I have ever heard. And I'm like, yeah, this is literally true what the International Theological Commission said in that document. He can't even see, he can't even view it as fictional literature like that that's like true literature like shakespeare you yeah. can't even yep. see it like yep. that you know he can't even see it like the iliad and the odyssey it's like no this is stupid that's something different but this is just stupid and silly it's so interesting you know i was i'm listening to a podcast on uh, do you remember the doors movie that came out back in 1991 uh, with val kilmer it's weird yeah and yep. but val kilmer does an amazing it's they they argue that it's the best biographical performance ever and i would agree with that because he actually sang the songs oh that's He's awesome. singing okay. the songs yeah and it's like it's kind of amazing how dead on he was but it's kind of a very weird movie but one thing that they pointed out that is and i would agree it's kind of, they said it that it was like problematic in the sense that it perhaps tells a story that isn't necessarily true about a or like get things across about him that might not have actually been true but they said right now, because of the internet, it would have been picked apart out of death. Because like, yeah. this isn't true. This isn't true. This is false. But um, back in 1991, you just didn't have that. And so there's this weird thing, I think, right now. It, it, when you were – I'm talking about just kind of – it just kind of reminded me that, like, we are so obsessed with facts that can actually yeah. – facts can be relative. And that it um, – I mean, I just watched Tombstone the other night, and if you want to talk about a confusing event, there's nothing more confusing than that. <laughs> I still don't know if the Earps were right or wrong with what they did. I'm not saying that that the Cowboys were right, but it's like, I mean, they were brought to trial on it, and a judge cleared the Earps, but, like, they thought they had they had in, enough of a case that it did go to trial. The shootout at the OK Corral. Yeah, so yeah. that was one of the things that I talked about with that guy. I said... He goes, you know, Watch like Tombstone, look at Val Kilmer again. Very cool. <laughs> yeah. I'll be your Huckleberry. No, it was so fascinating because here's a young man struggling with faith, but he really wants to jettison it. But maybe it's Catholic guilt. Maybe it's cultural Catholicism. Maybe it's real faith in the size of a mustard seed that's hanging on. And he says, you know, like, here's the deal. People, and I, I use this voice, which sounds like an idiot, but that's just my voice for young men. <laughs> it's not that yeah, this, this guy, exactly. This guy literally did not sound anything like that. He was a very intelligent person. No, I, I know. And very exactly respectful, mean, but I always talk like this. But when people talk, like the problem with me is that I hear these arguments so often that I I can caricature, you know, straw man them and stuff. But so what he said was, um, you know, like to me, religion is it, it says good things, but you know, Jesus is a good teacher. If we live the way he teaches us, I think world would be a better place. But I don't think he's God. Mm -hmm. I think that was added later. And so he starts to use those arguments. And he just says, like, everything is – the only reason why I'm Catholic is because my parents are Catholic. My culture is Catholic. And he's like, you know, and I wouldn't be – I would be something else if I was born somewhere else. And I said, I thought you didn't want to be Catholic. And you thought it was stupid. And he was like, well, yeah. I mean, I'm like the exception. And I was like, there we go. <laughs> and then so he's like, because well, like, you know, like I look at things objectively, 
without bias. And as I'm going through things objectively without bias, and I was like, I said, okay, well, number one, no, you don't. None of us do. None of us look at anything objectively without bias because we are yeah. subjects. We necessarily, you know, the the achievement of the scientific thinking is we cr- have to erect a whole series of institutions and apparatuses around us to try to keep our biases in check as much as humanly possible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I said, if you were to glance around this room and then try to memorize and tell me what was in my office, you could probably only mention like 10 things accurately because everything else you screen out. You screen out the facts because of your values. Like what was most important was me, my desk, my bookshelves. You don't know what's written on my whiteboard. You're not going to remember how many bumps are in this square inch over here in the corner on the drywall because that's not relevant. Your values exclude facts. Right? There's literally an infinite number of facts that you could pull out from my office. The air temperature, yeah. the barometric pressure. You don't think about your any of that. mine. Which is your cholesterol. I'm very proud of you. Thank you. Thank you. Although I might have to end this conversation early and vomit. Oh, no. Wait, why? I am so worn out. I am, like, on the edge. I but tell. I don't have to go to work tomorrow. So no iPhone will wake me up in the morning. Um but so I just said to this kid, I was like, there's no such thing. Like, what we think is a bare fact is a fiction. And that has been proven over and over again. But just let me remind you that there is no – so you're not objectively uh, unbiased. And he's like, I guess you're right. And so we started talking about that. And it was so fascinating because then he was like, well, wh- like morality, like good and bad, right and wrong, good and evil. Like, I think an atheist, you know, you just got to figure it out for yourself. And I said, okay, but what if what you call evil, someone else calls good? How do we dispute that? How do, how do we even use the word good and evil if there's not an objective standard called God that we are relative to? And he was like, oh, crap, I didn't think of that. I was like, right, so what is good? Like, we define darkness by the absence of light. Right, light is the positive thing. It's absolute, like cold, absolute zero, is defined as the absence of heat and energy, heat and movement. Right, like it's only defined by what it's not, like a hole in the side of a barrel. It's not a thing. It's the absence of a thing that should be there. And I was like, that's how we define evil. But if there's not an absolute good, how do you define evil? And he was like, okay, that makes sense. I don't know. And then we talked about fifty-seven different things, which are all fun, you know. But uh, it, it was amazing to me how his – I said, you have a moral view. It's utilitarianism. Like he started saying, well, the only thing that really matters is pleasure and pain. And human, mean, human beings need a little bit of pain, but we need a lot of pleasure. And that's all – that's what means good and evil. And I was like, okay, so giving people the greatest amount of happiness for the greatest amount of people is what is morality. Yeah. Okay, that's utilitarianism. America is a utilitarian country. Like you have accepted that. And you called that objective. It's not objective. It is a philosophy that was invented by John Stuart Mill and Jeremy Bentham. Like, come on. <laughs> like, you just reduced the good to the useful, and that's it. And he's like, wow, okay. Like, yeah, this is the point. This is what I'm telling you. Sir, you seem tired. <laughs> You're a utilitarian. You're an overweight white male who studies philosophy in order to bully young adults. <laughs> Guilty. <laughs> And how good, sir. And seventh graders.
What if there was a podcast that used pop culture references to review stories from the Bible? And what if you could listen to a recap of a Bible story like the recap of your favorite TV show? Well, now here comes your new favorite show, after us, of course, from the team that brought you the podcast. Here is The Bible Binge, a show that takes both the familiar and the obscure stories found in Scripture and walks you through the odd circumstances in which these ancient figures find themselves in with equal parts humor and insight. Whether these are stories you love or if you're new to scripture, the Bible Binge has something for everyone. Not only does the Bible Binge recap Bible stories, they also cast these characters with modern-day celebrities. And one of the reasons why I love the Bible Binge is not just a particular show, which the really funny one Kirk Cameron explained, but they have the, <laughs> it's so funny. They have these two things that I love, faith-adjacent things like Thanksgiving and Santa Claus. And then this other category called favored or forsaken. And they go through these things like celebrity Christians and Kurt Cameron explained or uh, very topical. Dave Ramsey explained with all the little reports coming out about working condition, working conditions at the Ramsey solutions or whatever. We're going to leverage your pop culture literacy to enhance your biblical literacy. I think that's sweet. So head on over to the Bible binge on Apple podcast, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, or you can listen ad free by joining Wondery plus in the Wondery app. Wondery, feel the story. Imagine, so I had this girl come to me and her parents said, uh, I said, why don't you, your mom wants me to talk to you about why you don't, why you don't believe in God anymore. And she's like, I just see people singing these songs at mass and I'm like, they're all in a cult. And I said, what do you mean by that? I'm not saying you're wrong. Yeah. I, I said, what do you mean by a cult? And she goes, I don't know. And I'm like, okay, intelligent. Uh, <laughs> intelligent. I Have said, you so, seen the gather hymnal though. I'm, there's a good argument right yeah. there. For you. <laughs> I said, is it this? I said, what is it about the songs? Is it like the the fact that you can take out the name Jesus and put the name of your, your boyfriend in there and it le- read largely the same? I love you. I want to be with you. I always want to be filled with you. I don't know what other sexual imagery you can use. <laughs> and uh, she's like, yes, yes. They're so stupid and sappy. And I was like, okay, agreed. I have no problem with anything you're saying right now. And then she said, I said, but what's a cult? The word cultus in Latin means to worship. So a culture, a cultivation, right? Like those are, you have worship at the center. I said, so what does it mean to be a cult? I was like, that they believe the same thing? And she's like, well, yeah, like belief without evidence. I said, okay, so let's talk about that. And then she comes around and she says, and I thought this was so funny. I'll, I'll, I'll wrap up here. But she said, Very um, oh, gosh, what was the words that she used? I love she said, your you know, I just conversations. What, huh? I said, I love hearing your private conversations. I know, I know. That <laughs> I just that, but I just said to her, so what <laughs> makes it? Whoopsie. What makes it? What makes it a cult? I said, it sounds like to me. I said, and you can tell me I'm wrong. I said, I just told you a little bit of my story, how I struggled with my faith for about five or six years when I was in high school. And uh, it really was an intellectual journey for me, but I became convinced and convicted that God is real and that Jesus is the son of God. And high school and did last five or six years. Be for me, yeah. GED just kept it going. Um, <laughs> thank you, homeschooling. Law and order. <laughs> Who knew you could take a victory lap in high school? <laughs> I criticized Luke for a victory lap in college. He criticizes it for me in high school. Law and order? Salad? <laughs> Why would I leave you. this paradise? This is my walled garden. <laughs> Screw video games in the basement. I got law and order and a big salad on my couch. <laughs> oh, good times. Good times in the Gormley household. And anywho, yeah. 
Anywho, jokes and so from 2001 are being made in 2020. <laughs> no way is that getting no old. Way is that bad at all? Yeah. So I just said to her, maybe, maybe for you, saying something like "they're all in a cult" really means I feel right now like I'm on the outside looking in. And it might be you're on the outside looking in because you don't get it, because you don't care, because you think they're dumb, because you're judging them and you think they're all just a bunch of simpletons. Or maybe you really want to have faith and you don't, and that bothers you. So it's okay to insult them rather than say, maybe it's something else. Yeah, and you cut to the core today. Yeah, and I, well, because I had to go. <laughs> I was like, listen, we're coming up on 47 minutes. I gave you 45. Now it's time to insult you. <laughs> listen, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to play this song. I'm going gonna, I'm go- I'm gonna to head out of here. I'm going to play this song by Stained. I want you to write a one-paragraph <laughs> reflection. Yes, that might be the guy from Oh, Little Biscuit in the background. That's neither here nor there. <laughs> Biloxi, what? I can so feel I those just, lighters. Yeah. <laughs> that is what he says. I feel those lighters. Yeah, I'm feeling those lighters. Why is my voice cracking? <laughs> hands up or hands down. <laughs> Wrong song. Wrong song, limp. <laughs> Play that track. Play the <laughs> <good> track. <laughs> so it was funny. And she just looked at me and she goes, yeah, maybe. <laughs> I was like, okay. I have no – I'm an old man. I used to have out multi-hour-long conversations with every high school kid. Now I'm like, oh, gosh. Like if I could just put this on an Excel spreadsheet, I'm like, <laughs> just read page 45, cell 9. That's what you're talking about. That's what you're referencing. This is, this is your techne. Get out of here. I got to go. I'm so tired, kid. I'm so tired. Luke has COVID. Do you know how much I had to do for the podcast over the past three weeks? A lot. <laughs> a lot. I bled for this podcast. So, Luke, what's going on in your world? Well, I have a, I, um, have a topic, which I think... <coughs> I cough so much, it hurts my chest. <coughs> I, like, put a muzzle, like, like, in the bottom part of my pecs. So when I cough, I'm like, it tightens up and it hurts. Drinking beer probably doesn't help. A sweet, sweet bush um, latte that I got from one of our listeners. Bush latte? Yeah. What does that mean? I don't know. It is a, um, a limited edition, but it does not contain dairy or coffee. <laughs> it's bush beer. So Seems you've are. led us astray again, bush. So, yeah. All right, so I have a topic that I think is going to actually kind of tie in with what you are talking about. Now, it's not exactly what I brought up on that on the text to you that I wanted to send so I didn't forget it. I don't even have it on my screen right now because I'm a little idiot who was paying attention to his, to his co-host while his co-host was uh, telling him stories. Um, and my computer's slow. Me. So I – okay, so how much editing do you feel like doing tomorrow? Not a lot. Okay. Would you want to insert <laughs> – I'm so sorry – a, a couple of songs, like like five second, like yeah, uh, that's fine. five that's second fine. clips. Okay, so if we as long as they're on YouTube, I can do it three times. You would be you would be okay with that. <clears throat> All right, so <clears throat> I'm so sorry. I don't know what's happening. Let me uh, let me back up here. I want you to. We're gonna go on to the interwebs right now, and I'm gonna do this kind of um randomly because I want to see if this actually works. So I've done this on a couple other. I've done this a couple other ways, and I think that it does work. But I want to do it kind of randomly. So I want you. I'm gonna go onto. I'm gonna go onto my computer here. I'm gonna do Bill Board top. I'm a uh, to, uh, top song from 2018. Okay, so that they say the top song 
of that year in 2018 is uh, good gosh. Okay, so I'm going to do the year the year end hot singles. God's plan by Drake. Okay, so I want you to go play just okay. really, really like quick on YouTube a quick thing from God's plan. God's plan. I hold back sometimes I won't. Yeah. I feel good sometimes I don't. Like. I actually really, I actually really like that style of rap that's kind of popular now. Is that like like mumble? It has some like interesting like punk influences as well to it. It's, it's kind of it's kind of cool. Okay, now do top Billboard on the song from nineteen um ninety eight. So twenty years before that, which really hurts. So it's too it's too close by by the by the artist next. I don't remember that at all. Oh yeah. This song. Close to on you. Barely about you. Now they can't help it. You make what I want from you, baby. When we grind it, I get so excited. They should not have played that song at any um, junior high dance, but they sure did. So you remember um, that song, right? Oh yeah, I know the song. Okay, now I want you to pretend that it's nineteen um ninety eight. Yeah, and you've just heard that song um next by the band Too Close. Or the song Too Close by the band um, Next. Then I play you the song by Drake. Would you believe that the song by, like, by Drake was made in 1998? If I were to have played it for you back in 19, um, back in 19, um, 98. What I think, like, musically or that it's about God or something like that or what? I don't understand. No, like, do you think, okay, so if, if, if. I were to have told you if I were to have if I were to played you the song by like by like Drake in um nineteen um ninety eight, would you have thought oh this sounds oh, like a current song this sounds yeah. like one of the top songs like Too Close or something like it sounds kind of similar? No, I don't think so. Damn it, I don't think so. Because Too Close sounds so R like, but like, would you okay? Not okay. Not like, like, would you think that like, do those things sound like they kind of come from the same era though? I don't think they do. No, you think they don't they do? sound that distinct? I think they kind of do. Okay, I don't think they're very. I don't think they're that distinct. To okay, be honest with you. But, okay, but let's 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 just. But like you say, but like you say, um, yes, that they do. So let's just um, keep this going. Okay. So now, now I want you to type in twenty years back. The top song back then was by Andy Gibb, and it was like Shadow Dancing. So type type in "I'm Shadow Dancing" and go and listen to that. Oh man, this is straight seventies. Okay, now compare the, that song. That sounds like straight out of the seventies, right? Yeah. Now I want you to take that song by Next, Too Close. Pretend it's nineteen seventy eight. If I were to play you the song Too Close 
by next would you have thought this doesn't sound like anything that's out there right yes now. right 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 yes would you say that compared to the like it's yes. even it's even um, it's even a um, little more distinct than someone I'm um, like Drake and next from uh, from um 98 right yeah I'm picking up what you're putting down yeah okay now type in 19 I'm a 58 top song what is it I don't know I'm 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 doing this all like off the um because I wanted to make sure I didn't, I didn't want it to um, I didn't want it to um, I did not want it to feel like it was a setup or anything. So it's Valer. <laughs> the fifties are so weird. So it's Valer. I'm just gonna like copy this and text V O L A R E by Dominico Mundungo. I don't know how to pronounce that. I'm so yeah. Okay. Oh. It's Volare. Oh, that's that's the song, but it's by like a different um person though. Okay, so it is that same song. It's just sung. So again, Dominico. Volare. Let me share with you the one from the 1950s. Not that one. I just want to make sure that it's there's a lot of versions of of the song. Yeah, no, I'm I'm looking at the black a black and white television show. Yep, yeah, yep, yep. Okay, now if you heard that, so let's pretend it's 1958. If I were to play you the song, the song by Andy Gibb, you would say, "Oh my gosh, this sounds like something from the far distant um, future." What is this? Yeah. If you yeah. were to, you know, now okay, so keep so there's this fascinating idea. From a guy, and and his name. I want to make sure I get this right. Sorry, this is. I know it's kind of like this is, this is a bit of a painful thing for us to go through, but I think you can edit it and make it sound good. Um, so so his name is um, Mark Fisher, and he is a British. Um, he's a British. Um, uh, he was like a cultural commentator. Uh, he um he was a philosopher who was real into this thing called um hauntology. Um, I'm gonna. Going, I'm going to go into that a bit, but he gave a talk called "The Slow Cancellation of the Future," and I think it's kind of fascinating. And he uses on um, this example of this where he says, "Listen, if you were to go back," and he's, he's talking back in back in 1994. Um, goes, "If uh, I took the top song right now from bands, and if I played them for you back in 19 nine, back in 1994." He, he would argue that you'd probably say, hey, this kind of sounds like it could be on the radio right now. Yeah, this fits this kind of mold. But if you go almost 20 years before that, so we go to 19, almost 74, it is a very distinct thing from like a song like Unknown Black Hole Sun that came out in 94 or the songs of the, the like early part of the 70s. Even like on the Morris, if you go back to the 1950s. And when you think of a certain era of songs, like if, if I were to tell you, think of a song from the 1960s, we all kind of will come up with the same kind of sound. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, it might not be exactly the same thing, but we're going to come up with like either that kind of like bone on the Bayou song that's in like every movie ever about yeah. the 1960s or like a Beatles song. And then you have songs in the 70s, the 80s. Yeah, we all – and you can even get into real specific years even. Where it sounds like that year. And he starts to make the argument that in, around the early to mid-aughts, that starts to go 
away. Hmm. And his whole thing is that basically his argument is, and he's pretty anti-unlocapitalistic, which I, which I, he's very anti-unlocapitalism, which is kind of annoying in the long run. But he's saying that we've basically destroyed the future. Okay. And we've really ruined um, culture because we've got because we've gotten rid of boredom, and we have replaced it with boring things. Or we've created or you, have, or you know you have a place you have a place um like London where you had a lot of culture that would that came out of London because you have a whole lot of people, and quite often this culture would come from the um the working class, not always, but that was but it was kind of a part of it. And you could afford, for the most part, to live in to live, in, you know, in, um, in London. Even the punk scene that you know comes out of London, they're um, they are. I mean, like a lot of those people would like. They were all. They would pretty much be um, squatters. Like they were like you know, yeah, hanging out uh, at like abandoned houses now. But they've all been. They've all been like. They've all been priced out, and because of. Um, how technology works now and because of how much it costs to live in London, everyone is like so busy that there's actually not a whole lot of culture coming out of coming out of there. And be, and because of tech, we now have access to everything. And all we do now is pretty much just go to the past. Hmm. And there's no, and he's basically saying we're canceling the future. And that if you were to look at a thing, if you were to look at a thing like modernity, he was saying that that was you could really I'm see that in music, but now it doesn't really exist anymore because all music now kind of sounds like stuff from the past. It, it's there's nothing really all that um, new coming out of there. But so I, I think this whole idea of. Um, just the fact that, like, we actually don't – we don't have anything that we're living in pretty much. You don't have distinct um, cities anymore. You've just got a – and we've talked about this at length, but you just have a cheesecake um, factory in, 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 in every town now. And it's all becoming homogenous. It's all just kind of the same, and there isn't anywhere to go, so we're just going um, backwards because uh, because this is why I think a lot of culture is actually kind of boring because – Right now, that is of stuff that is made because it's not really trying to say anything. It's just trying. All it can do is replicate because the internet isn't anything but the past. Mm. Mm. And so, I think this is really fascinating, especially if you if you take the, the like he he would argue that the only thing that we kind of like 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 where modernity still still has evidence of existing is in is in technology, and he's saying this in. 2014, right before there's a shift, I think, in kind of the whole like I'm a sexual um, wokeness. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that technology has actually that that um, has like that has really really um, slowed down compared to where it was ten years ago. I don't think we're having those um, leaps and bounds that we were experiencing. You know, like oh, was that, there, there was a time where every new iPhone was just this dramatic shift, a dramatic uh, change. It was very exciting. And now it's like, oh, it's, eh, it's like it's not a it's, you know, it's like a better camera. <laughs> better battery life. It's really not all that much, you know. And um I think it's kind of I think 
right now where we're seeing all of the rapid change and how we mark that change and how we mark this time is through um, wokeness, especially as it relates to human sexuality. And I just mean wokeness in terms of like LBGTQ, all of that. I mean, like kind of the whole thing. Um, Polyamorous stuff or like whatever it's called. Um, And then if you compare that to the C.S. Lewis quote where he talks about how he's speaking from the standpoint. It's in these screw tape letters. So he's speaking from the standpoint of a demon trying to tip the human being to, and he's telling his nephew, which is this other um demon. He's, um, he is, I'm um, training him on how to be demon. This idea that we train them to think of the future as a thing that only I'm um, a heroes attain. I still think that we have that, that we look towards the future as some type of, um, a promised land, but then we, um, because of the fact of like, I feel I, I kind of agree with this idea that the future is be is you know being canceled. That it's now impossible for us to really live in the moment. Yeah, like okay. we've made it impossible to actually exist in a way that really matters. So I'm I'm reading his stuff right. So he refers Mark Fisher refers to Jacques Derrida's concept of hauntology. Which is a combination of ontology and haunting. And Derrida, who was a Marxist, he wrote a book called Specters of Marx, where he says that Europe is haunted by Marx's communist manifesto. Meaning Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it can't get away from it, but at the same time isn't entering into the future that Marxism promised, that communist manifesto promised. So for Derrida, the idea was there are these possible futures that should have happened but didn't. And so it's haunted by it because it wants those possible futures to come to be, but it won't let it because of neoliberalism and capitalist realism and all this stuff. So Mark Fisher is writing from this perspective that capitalist realism, that capitalism is the only um, viable political and economic system. There really can't be any others. And so when you apply hauntology, haunting ontology, you apply hauntology to music, mm-hmm. he's saying that, uh, that, that the postmodern neoliberal capitalist system is so, we can just say, corporatized that it deprived musicians and artists of making something new in the culture. That all we do mm-hmm. is recycle nostalgic past, and, now, and we're haunted by the past, by the past art. So it's not advancing, but instead into something weird and new and fascinating. It's and, just recycling. And here's where I agree with it. <coughs> this is weird that I agree with him because I get the impression that he's a wannabe uh, 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 Marxist. Now he committed suicide in 2017. It's which I don't yeah. know anything about why, or, but I mean. So please, uh, you know, please pray for his soul. But uh, he talks about how we've replaced on boredom that we because he basically he's saying like out of boredom comes like uh, you like have culture that comes out of that. And I, I, and I kind of agree with that to a certain certain extent. And when, and when he and when he talks about on boredom, he said things like you'd have to face the idea of like, okay, we're all going to die. What does that mean? Is that the only thing that is certain then is death? It's like, you know, like all those big things that you have to face when you have nothing else to do while you are at the bus, where you're at the bus stop, you think about the big things in life, especially when you are in your, when you are in, when you are in your twenties, which for better or for worse is where a lot of modern um, culture tends to come from people between the ages of um, 19 and 27. 
and he and I, I am I am I'm fascinated by this in the in like the sense of what's going on right now, not in terms of like what is an objective on the truth to all this, but like what's happening right now. And he's he says we've basically replaced on the boredom with boring things, which has created anxiety. And the thing I think is so interesting about this is that in marketing. A thing that's popped up a lot this year because everyone's been so damn anxious. They've said one of the best things that works is if you is if you do like nostalgic things because what that does is it reassures people that like stuff was okay and it's going to be okay again. And uh, I think he's right. This is why I think people are going to to the past even if it's a past that they that they really have never experienced it's because everyone is so anxious because life has no meaning and i I, th- I honestly think he's hinting at like the collapse of culture which is which i don't think is gonna be like he's basically i'm saying it's not that exciting it's not gonna be this i don't know if he's saying this but i'm gonna I'm this, this is me that it's not going to be this um, exciting, fun thing. It's going to be. It's going to go out um, with the whimper, and I don't know what that means. I don't know really what that looks like. He doesn't offer a lot of hope. Who says him, that? How does he um, say? It? This is a mark. I, well, I'm kind of speaking for him. He, I'm, I'm not speaking. I'm, I'm. These. These are my thoughts. And so he he brought up the whole the like whole like I'm a thing about like anxiety and stuff and, he, and and like he basically says at at the end of this talk like what do you do and he doesn't really give a, he doesn't give a very I'm not a good answer it seems like his answer is try to be optimistic and I don't think that that's good enough I don't think people can be optimistic when they're they feel like their life is miserable they're just so anxious because they're on their phones all the time. And I think this inability, when you look at what C.S. Lewis says, I still think we're trying to look for something to make everything okay. And this is why cultural Marxism actually kind of scares me because I think people want to turn to the state in order to do that. And there are things that, of course, the state can and the state should do. But if you turn towards the state, that means that we then become the servants of the state. And it, it it just it's the, this whole thing I think I, in this, this in a, I think it ties into a bit to this inability to really live in the present because I don't think we know what to do. I think we've lost our culture to the point of, um, or we're just so engulfed in a thing that really um doesn't exist that we're just kind of lost. I think I think people are completely lost. So let me connect it to two things that we've talked about. Yeah. One is Patrick Deneen, who agreed to come on the show. I would love to have him. Um, he holds a very uh, – uh, No you know, idea my, you are talking about. Patrick Deneen is, a, I believe, a Notre Dame professor of philosophy. But he, write, he wrote um, – oh, crap. I can't remember the book. But the, uh, Why Liberalism Failed. And the idea of political liberalism, which has been around for about 300 years, 250 years, merging capitalism with democratic republicanism, the idea that um, the sovereignty of the individual, individualism, he holds that the state and the corporation are two sides of the same coin. They both have a goal to obliterate your past so they become the sole defining characteristic 
that which defines your present so that it can own your future, right? So Nike doesn't have a um, – doesn't sell shoes. They're a brand that's an identity. You buy Nike because you want to represent, you know, today, you know, wokeness in sports, elitism uh, as an athlete, you know, the top, you know, the best athletes wear Nike. Mm -hmm. Unless you play soccer, then it might be Adidas or something like that. It's kind of on Nike now too. Yeah, fair enough. So you see how the, like, corporations want to destroy your past so that they can sell you an identity and your future. The, the The state wants to do the same thing. And this is Patrick Deneen's argument. The state wants to do the same thing so that it can own you as a person, right, as an individual. Individualism is a lie because no man brings himself into being. No man gives himself language and knowledge. And no man can earn this stuff. It is all a part of his society, right? And it goes down to, I mean, like, society activates genes in the human brain like we need one another i was listening to a podcast on testosterone and they said when a man has sex with a woman at night in the morning he'll have an erection because his body is filled with testosterone if a man masturbates to pornography for the same amount of time the night before he will have no erection because it matters that a human person was involved in his life and this was just uh, like I, I was like, well, we're talking about porn and masturbation. OK, but this was literally they said the social component of sexuality activates genes and hormones within the human person that another body matters. Right. It's not just sensations that we're hooked up to. It's the interactions and the interplay with human persons uh, that causes things like even even just sex for sex sake and pleasure and all that stuff. So Patrick Deneen, his whole thing is. The the movement of liberalism, it is a culture that is anti-culture. And we see this at Vatican II where one of the famous statements of um, one of the, the bishops was um, the, the word blue jeans was <laughs> entered into the, the kind of the, the historicity of, of the – or the documents of Vatican II where um, – the like guy said, like, you go all over the world. We, we live in a global village, right? Like, all over the world, you find people wearing the same Levi's blue jeans, you know, and all this stuff. And it's true. And I, I, we talked about this and when I was, uh, uh, like, a second or third grader that had the alphabet on the wall, or maybe probably a first grader. And it had all the different – for every letter, there was a country with the traditional dress. So G was Germany, and they had lederhosen. And I was like, what would America's – dress be and so i was looking at a and it was argentina and i was like oh i guess they don't have america because we live in america that makes sense and then i got to you and i was like oh united states and i was expecting a t-shirt and blue jeans honestly as a first grader and it was native americans right so it was like the plains indians right so the, the kind of clothes that they would wear and i was guilty. like oh that's <laughs> and i was like oh that's cool but i thought like no one really wears any of this stuff we all wear t-shirt and jeans or a polo if you got to go to work. You know, like yeah, that's the a, traditional that's a, that's dress. A point. And, yeah. Right. Well, that's Deneen's point is those traditional dress was embodied in a culture. The clothing that you wore, like the Franciscan habit meant something back then because it literally was the clothing a beggar wore. And the order was an order of beggars. And their clothing was the clothing of – when you were a pilgrim, you wore pilgrimage clothing. Right. So and we've talked about this, right, like how the clothing makes the man in ancient cultures and medieval cultures. And yet once you enter into 
I mean, think about this. When we enter into a society of mass production, clothing doesn't matter anymore, except on the most flimsy of identity lines, right? Like um, talking with what's her name? Um, uh, Leah Darrow, where she talked about fast fashion and how instead of four seasons, there are 52 at H&M. To set, like, literally, they strip their whole store and every week and come up with a new fashion for this week. Well, and this is why I think um, this is how much uh, control Techne has over our lives. That we. Okay, so I don't know if any of you guys have ever gone through. Like, we've all kind of been doing this this year, I think. So we've all been going through, like, a, um, a year of waiting. Yeah. And it's been really, um, really hard. And um, one way that a lot of us have have coped is we've watched a sh- crap ton of Netflix. We've watched a lot of things that we've uh, that we've already watched. We've watched The Office a, a thousand times. People watch um, Friends a lot. Um, Brooklyn Nine Nine. All of all of like um, all of you know some um, of these things. And but I think this has kind of been this year has been all of this on steroids. And the point has been to get through this year, right? Like we want to get to the end of this yeah. pandemic when everything's going to be, um, you know, back to normal. But the danger is, I, I think, is when you apply that on a bigger um, level in terms of like if you see that the, that the like um, future is being canceled, that we're not doing it to go anywhere. It's just to do something. It's just to stay busy. It's just to keep occupied, to keep engaged, which is the whole point of techne, to just keep you just to because it's it's not it's not it's not even like I'm aware you're going. It's not why you're doing it. It's just that you do something because if not, you can't help but face the fact that everything is pointless. I'm starting to think that like as a Catholic, I don't know what else to do but like entirely reject this. And I don't I, – I, I, like, I guess what scares me too is that I feel like we also are trying to look to the past and there's some um, good in that in order to determine like, like where we should go. But I do sometimes fear that we just want to live there or we want to find this one thing that we want to do to just help us like stay safe. One of the lines that this Mark Fisher dude – and he is a Marxist. His line is – the dimension of the future has disappeared. We are trapped in the 20th century. What it means to be in the 21st century is to have the 20th century culture on high-res screens distributed by high-res, high-speed internet, actually. I totally agree with them. I totally yeah, and, agree. And this other guy said, as an architect, I can almost seamlessly replace the mentions of music with architecture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, 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 I think this is... Um... Like I mean, while you know, I've, and I've only watched this this like one this um one I'm talking about. It's, it's like it's pretty clear that he definitely isn't a fan of um capitalism. He puts a lot of the blame for what's going on on that. But I I don't I don't know if he's wrong. Like I think this is kind of the problem of unchecked capitalism. And I'm not trying to say that you know um capitalism is wrong by you know any means necessary. We love the capitalism here at um catching foxes. Patreon.com/slash/cf. Patreon.com/slash/cf. 
Hey everyone, you know I've abandoned social media stuff, but let me tell you, there is one place where I can connect with you that is worth our time, and that's Stereo.com slash Gomer. You head over to the Stereo.com slash Gomer, follow me, get the Stereo app, and every Sunday night, you can join me and Luke live. It's a live show. This is not pre-recorded. This is the Catching Foxes after party you never knew that you wanted. It's fun. Stereo app has thousands of live social conversations and all that stuff. But guess what? You get to join us. You get a little notification. Oh, hey, Gomer's going live. You hop on the show Sunday nights, 10, 9 central, and you can just listen in. It's great. I love the Stereo app. It's on, I'm, we're on it all the time, and it's a lot of fun. So you follow us. You get notified. You listen to the show. Then you can participate. You can leave comments. You Maybe you can become a co-host, especially if Luke keeps this whole COVID thing up. Yikes. We had Katie on. It was Katie and me the last week, and it was so fun. We always schedule them for 45 minutes, and we have never gone less than 60 because it's a blast. We get to hear from you directly. It's a lot of fun. So you want to join us on the Stereo app. For the Catching Foxes after party. Sunday nights at 10 Eastern, 9 Central. I will always say 9 Central. I don't care what Luke says. He yells at me all the time for saying 9 Central. He says that's the worst time zone. It's the best time zone. 10 o'clock p.m. Eastern time, 9 o'clock Central, Sunday nights, live. You join us, ask us questions, make funny comments. It is a lot of fun. Don't miss the after party over on the Stereo app. We'll be going live, and it'll be hilarious where you can scream and yell and laugh and giggle. It's going to be awesome. Many thanks to the Stereo app for sponsoring this show. We keep looking to the past to try to save us. You see this in the church. And, and like I think the, the obvious answer is to point towards the rad trads. And I don't think that that's actually, that's not what I'm talking about to a certain extent. What I'm talking about is this desire to find the one thing to get to like get to get me through this to get me through whether it's a pornography addiction whether it's a pandemic or just isolation or feelings of just anxiety created by you know god knows what we want to look to the past we want to look to recycled things as opposed to um creating new experiences isn't this what disney world is the disney worldification you know what you need you need a good corporate vacation where a bunch of people in suits that you don't know mm -hmm. micromanage even the wind speed that courses through your hair um I, yes and no so yes in the sense of like i think of this is what you're doing all the time yeah yeah it's a bit it's a bit weird um, do I think going to a place where things are so controlled and it's such like an, an experience like that is wrong? No. Cause I, I think it's like, I love going to theme bars. I love going to things that have like a, uh, I, 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 I do enjoy a certain amount of, um, entertainment or, um, feel like you're being like, I'm whisked away to something that is just completely different. I, uh, but I, I, I do think there's a major problem. That's like the one thing that you do. Like, like the fun part about um, about um, Disney World is like it's that, but you can kind of get that in like a controlled, almost safe environment, and it's just 
it's just fun. It's just, it's it's just a fun thing to 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 go and do. If you want to live in that, I think that's that's a problem. Or if you think that's the only thing that you can count, like is there's a um, like you know, like when me and Aaron went to went to um the resort out um like Georgia a um a couple of years ago, like that's a lot of fun. There's not a ton to do there compared to a place um like Disney World, but it has its own appeal where I could just I'm a you know I could hang out on it like on a hammock for about like an hour or two and then show Aaron how to do it and almost unbreak my neck. Yeah. You know? So I, I think it, um, well, this is the oscillation between 1984 and a brave new world, right? The brave new world was the capitalist hell. And 1984 was, uh, the socialist hell, right? Like, come on, comrade, do your exercises for the state. And mm-hmm. you go, you know, why mend when you can spend right in order to have this economy, we have to keep spending, to the point where we're willing to radically, genetically modify people so that you belong here, you're the servant class, you're the slave class, you're the worker class, you're the thinker class, you're the organizer class. And it ends up like this notion of free markets then becomes the domination and plaything of the rich and the powerful. That's always dangerous. That's always – no matter what society you have. It's funny because as I was going through Plato's Republic and um, the dialogues of Plato – or the dialogues of Socrates that Plato wrote, um, there is a very powerful anti-money point in it. You know, you know, like famously Aristotle said, really it was like only the aristocrats can actually be virtuous because they have the time and energy and money and leisure to invest in it, right? Uh, the, the craftsmen, the farmers, they don't. They don't have that time. But at the same time, they had nothing but derision for people who were super rich. They had nothing but derision for the super rich because they're like all they're just obsessed with getting more money. Like they don't have leisure and therefore they can't be virtuous either. Right? And so it was almost like this notion of the landed gentry where they had people work their fields and their farms and did that for them, but at the same time they weren't like like in Game of Thrones, right? They had the capitalists in that were the people from the Iron Bank, right? And what did he call them? He called them cheesemongers, right? That was the phrase of people who sold things to make cash money. Whereas he is a nobleman, right? The Lannister guy. He's a nobleman because he's landed. He's rich as well. But the thing is he has power, and that's all that matters. And the Iron Bank kind of showed, well, no, he who has the most money kind of has the most power. And so that that has always been a fascinating interplay. When you begin to study greed uh, from a Christian perspective, as in the ancient Greeks, like it's not about acquisition for acquisition's sake, and I think we all know that, but it's really hard to re- to nail that down and not become a and not sound like a socialist. Like there has to be a critique of capitalism in in its moral forms that is not at the same time uh, that is not at the same time just strictly like you know I'm a socialist now. Well, I think this is. <clears throat> this is part of the problem is it gets reduced to those two things, right? Because we've thrown God completely out of the equation. So, like, it, at, at a period of time, it was the responsibility of the church to, you know, be charitable. I'm not saying they were the only yeah. group that did that, but we were the ones that was um, building hospitals, that was building um, universities, that was um, feeding the poor, that was doing all of these things. It was not necessarily the responsibility of the church, but it was the church that was doing those things. 
and as of we have you know changed what the church not changed what the church is but as we have um honestly i think it's the protestation of the church to a certain extent as it gets away from some sort of some like a magisterium or a not protestation but like the as we become as we've become well, it's secularized. The church has been reduced to a place of worship, yeah, which is core to who and what she is. But it's not the only thing. Like right. we were we were talking about this earlier on today, and just and just like in this other in this other um, conversation, that the church is actually insanely diverse, and there's tons of spiritualities. There's not just one thing that you need to do in order to become holy to beat to beat your. That's addiction. not true. That's not true. You can only pray the full rosary every day, <laughs> then you're good. If four, you don't not just three, pray four. Yeah. If you don't pray the full rosary every day, you might as well just, just set yourself yeah. on fire. Are you even Catholic? I think not. <laughs> um you, you know, I mean to and, and it's like there are uh, so many different ways to live your Catholic faith. And like I think we hate the fact that like some of the more quote unquote like, liberal um even like some of the churches that are built in a way that maybe we don't like, well, there's still a Catholic church and they still, um, there's a lot of people there who really love them, who really love Jesus. And they really love the Eucharist and it looks different than what you do, but like, sorry, <laughs> it doesn't mean that they're wrong necessarily. <laughs> and so like that's, and it's, it's, it's hard to admit that because I think we want everything to be very clear cut and, and obvious because of techne. Like seen before, like we want those things of like just give me the right answer, and it's like, well, what do you mean by right? Yeah, you know, like we're just kind of going back to like what's what's how I think it kind of like um uh, ties in a bit to what yeah. you were talking, what you were what what you were almost saying earlier is that we have such a the crazy thing about the internet. I think this is again a thing that this guy is kind of starting to get at is it actually hasn't expanded our worldview all that much. Mm-hmm. It's made things really. Like he kind of talks about what it was, uh, what was uh, coming down the pipeline. I think with just like um, certain things in terms of politics and whatnot, the internet and the like, the way we use the internet, or the way the internet has changed us, is that in a weird way we haven't become more rounded. We've become more. I like. I don't even know what the right. I don't know what like the right word is. Just isolated. I think. And so instead of, you know, becoming a renaissance people, we've just become like Gollum almost. It's weird. <laughs> you know, where it's just I have this precious thing that I'm obsessed with and it gives me life, but it's destroyed me. I mean, that's how I feel about this podcast. <laughs> well, I'm you know, what? honestly, it's how I feel about like this whole COVID-19 things. Like, OK, I, I just went through COVID. It's freaking horrible. Yeah, it's freaking horrible. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that I want all schools are shut down yeah. and that I think we should all like just destroy the economy and let it all burn for the sake of keeping on this thing alive. But it doesn't, it doesn't mean that I think everything should be like, yeah, it's fine. Let's just not like worry about it. It's not a really big deal. I'm like, well, this kind of sucked. And I put my friend in, 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 in the hospital for five days. Mm-hmm. There's, it, it's not two answers. It's not Bernie Sanders or, um, you know, I'm a Donald Trump. It's not that or, or like Joe Biden and Trump. It's not that black and white. The only thing I think that can break through any of that is God. I don't I, I'm, I'm utterly convinced now that the only thing that can break through any of this is God. I think it is absolutely impossible for us to do that, as you can tell by the quality of this show.
what we really need, Luke, is not just God, but God needs a brand manager. <laughs> okay. Listen, Hillsong has it right. We got to modernize, Luke. We got to modernize around 2001 rock and roll music. We got to turn that. We got to add power ballads like Meatloaf, right? But we got to put Christian lyrics to it. That I'm like a ballad of save, Damascus. That'll save the church. Oh, I would do anything for Christ. No, I won't do that. <laughs> no, no, I won't sacrifice. No, yeah, I um. Well, and, and like, here's the thing: is that that type of attitude automatically cuts off so many other possibilities. Wait, say that, say that again. Say that again. That that attitude of like, if we just need to like, what's our brand? How do we manage this? That's not bad for what you're doing, but to say that this is what God is doing in the church. That's mm. that's where it gets. That's where it gets messed up. Run like hell whenever anyone's saying this is what the Lord is doing in the church right now. Mm-hmm. Because that's not true. The Lord is doing a, th- a, he's doing a billion different things. And, like, I watched a beautiful thing of a, of a mass out, um, out, in, out in Ethiopia where crazy things are going on. Where during one part of the mass, they were doing this, like, um, hollering thing where they're like, la, 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 like, uh, like that. And it was amazing. It was amazing. And there are people here that would lose their mind if, you know, they were to see that. And there are people here who, who also think that, like, um, that is because it's because it's not this, it's like, uber, almost traditional thing that it's inherently unbetter than that as well. I'm like, they're both equally good. They're both ways to worship God that come out of a, a specific and unique culture. I got nothing, man. I can tell. You're tired. Is this a good episode? I hope so. It's one hour and ten minutes. <laughs> All right. How about this? So, Luke, I bought a gun. Yeah, we've already t- talked about that. We talked about it on stereo, but 50 people listen to that. I bought a gun, and I'm scared. <laughs> you, bought a gun, you bought a gun, and you're scared. I bought a gun, and I'm scared. It's right over here. You want me to get it and show it to you? <laughs> is, is it loaded? It's sitting on top of a stack of uh, tax records I need to file. <laughs> <laughs> Shannon's like, do the taxes. And I'm like, I can't. They're under the gun and it's loaded. And I don't know how to pick it up. So Are I'm just you kidding. serious? No, it's, not. it's not loaded. And it's in a safe. It's in a safe. My kids have the code. It's fine. They're good. They're better at it than I am. They know how to load and unload. They're amazing. Dad, the code is um, 666. Isn't that weird? Mm-hmm. I don't know. What does that mean? Did you say sex, sex, sex? It's so freaking funny. <laughs> Up top. Oh, man. Yeah. You bought a gun. No, I, I would love to have a gun, but I just. Actually, let me explain. Let me d- tell you about my descent into madness. So one of our <laughs> Patreon supporters said, hey, Gomer. This whole past hour. Yeah. He said, hey, Gomer, I think you need to go to counseling. The What you suffered might not have feel traumatic, but can have just the way you describe it can have these rippling effects in your life. Meanwhile, all I'm doing is watching ex-military people talk about all the people they killed in the wars. In the wars. When you shared that one story in the last podcast, I was like, this has nothing to do with anything we're talking about. You're just sharing this because you want me to... <laughs> what story was it? What, the one the, about was the, the hazing and like the hazing and the anus and stuff. <laughs> oh, gosh. That was so intense. But now, now I... Uh, 
through several other friends, they said, oh, yeah, you got to watch this one guy, the Warrior Poet Network. So I bought his app on, on Apple TV. No, you don't need to do this. Yes, it's so good. Luke, it is so good. It's about physical fitness. It's about shooting people. And it's about combat. Listen, I'm not opposed to um, any of those things. Moderation <laughs> in that stuff, though, is key. Moderation in physical fitness, moderation in shooting people, <laughs> moderation in combat. <laughs> I went up to my wife and I said, honey, when would you feel comfortable with me getting a gun? And she said, when you know how to load and unload it without shooting yourself. I'm like, fair enough. And she said, when well, you know how to clean it and when you know how to take care of it. And I was like, okay, okay. So this then I started gun. watching. This is no other gun. There are many guns <laughs> I'm liking, but this is mine. Is that for Full Metal Jacket? It's, yeah, it's close to that. I may have botched yeah. that a little bit. Oh, uh, yeah. And, uh, and so I went to the gun COVID. store. I went to the gun store, and I, I was looking around, and I knew what I wanted to get. And I walked him and was like, Hi, I'd like to get a, I would like to get a Glock 19 Gen 5. And the lady's like, all right, hold on one second. Have you filled out the background check? And I was like, nope. And I'm just waiting for that to go wrong. So I enter in all my information. It goes through the you know the the database of alcohol, tobacco, and firearms. Who told you about my Guatemalan drug camp? Who told you about that? Was it Luke? <laughs> yeah. Was, Was it, it Luke? Luke? <laughs> and uh, it's so funny because I'm entering in, and the lady's like, "Oh, it didn't work." And I was like, "Oh no, that guy who stole my identity in 2006, it's come back to haunt me." <laughs> and she goes, "No, you entered in the word county. It's uh, you don't need to enter in county when you enter in Montgomery." And I was like, "On the uh, bottom part." Where it said, please don't write underneath the spot. You put okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, sir, uh, where you had to put your wife's name, you have two wives. You have, um, you have, you have someone named, um, named, named, I'm a wifey, and it just says Rothkopf in all caps with an exclamation point. And then you have <laughs> podcast wife where it says Lukey with, with, with an exclamation point. It's a little weird. Mm. And yet beautiful. And yet beautiful. <laughs> um, no. Uh, so I went in and they were, she was buying it. And I was like, I need to get a safe. She goes, do you want to buy ammo? We allow you to buy up to three magazines. I said, yes, I'll buy all three. And I'm getting all this stuff. I need a cleaning kit. Eating, okay. Right? Uh, I mean, like every other day. Okay. okay. Which is fine. It's enough for them. Uh, and so we go through and I get it. And as I'm standing there, I hear, Gomer? And I turn around, it's parishioners, and they're like, I just learned how to shoot last month. This is wonderful. Tell Shannon, give her my number. Tell her I'll teach her how to shoot. It'd be so fun. And I'm like, oh, no. I'm now a part of gun culture. Oh, <laughs> how does it? All right, time to get a bandana. <laughs> I'm a part of gun culture. <laughs> I need a bandana. I need a don't tread on me flag. I need. <laughs> it's oh like, whoops. How did, I, how did I end up here? But don't worry, Luke. I got an American flag on a uh, Spartan helmet. On the cover of my uh, of my here's, safe. Here's how you got here. You got here the same way when you remember over college when we watched all, all the Lord of the Rings, and then you yes. read the Simulrillion, and then you just wanted to talk about it, and then you bought the video game for it. <laughs> and That's then I how wrote. You got and here. then I wrote four book reviews for Life Teen, starting with the Silmarillion. That's yes, a, and they're like, "Thanks, this is exactly what we need right now." Um, Okay, listen. I'm not opposed to guns. I love going um, skeet shooting. I love going hunting. I love guns. I think they're great. Um, I <laughs> guns, am guns little, everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I am a little worried that you're going down this weird rabbit hole. 
I am going down a weird rabbit hole. <laughs> Only because it's a weird rabbit hole. And I'm like, you don't need to be patrolling your neighborhood. That's not your job. I'm not patrolling. I'm just walking the block because I'm chubby. <laughs> no. And I call it patrolling. You're doing it because <laughs> to you had a important. thing where you saw a guy said you need to like respect your space or something like that. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And, oh, the, oh gosh, this is so funny. So that was do that. That was the l- lieutenant whatever, and he wrote these books, and he was on a podcast, and he's like, how do you apply the military life to your own home life now that you're a civilian? And he said, I secure my perimeter, right? I go through, I lock all the doors at the end of the night, I turn off the, the lights and turn on the exterior lights, and then maybe I'll go for a walk around my block. To me, uh, this month, I have got to know almost all my neighbors on my half of the street, there and is. that's on purpose, huh? I said, there it is, the word, um, neighbors. I was waiting for it. I'm Why? Because you just say it all the time. I'm just kidding. It's a joke. Well, I mean, I love my neighbor as myself, Luke. How dare I you know. judge I'm, me? I I'm just being Christ-like. You. I'm being Christ-like. But I'm, I'm finally me. getting to know, know especially my neighbors that, um, that are pretty hardcore Mexican, and they don't really – they don't talk to the white folks. Mm-hmm. So I got in good with the one guy, and he's getting me in good with the other guys. But it's it's awesome. Like I love oh, that's my neighborhood. Cool. That's cool. I really, really do. And now I'm starting to see things in my neighborhood. Like I, I cross over about three streets. I have um, cross over three streets. No, no, no. Like like the block, right? You I have oh, to cross okay. over I a major you meant, street. Like, that... It started like a block, and now it's like now I'm, now I've got three streets that I am. Yeah, now I got it on lockdown. Neighborhood watch. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, I'm I'm the official neighborhood. I printed up a lot of posters. I put it on all the mailboxes. They know me. Uh, I signed it on the bottom right corner so they know it's official. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was an RA. Can't I can forge do this. this. Yeah. <laughs> I just get worried that it's like toxic emasculinity, and I don't mean that in a. I don't. I, and I hate that. I hate that um phrase, but I just get worried. Like, okay, I don't want to get too personal here, but. Th- I have seen when this I have I have um personal I didn't experience it because it was after the fact. I came in after the fact, but I have people that I like like I have seen when this stuff goes bad and what it, and what it has done to people. Mm-hmm. I'll, t- I'll tell you about it off like off air. Okay. And so that's why there's a part of me that's a little bit like, hey, just be careful because this actually when this goes bad, it's really really bad. It's really really bad. And it's like I'm not saying like you're going down that road, but I can see where that I can see where where you are can end up where th- this thing was. Okay, what what would you say would be a road marker to perdition? You're not a patroller. You're not a person who's like you're not the neighborhood guard. <laughs> I, you, like, listen, you, you, you aren't, and like you you don't do that. Like, it, it's it's good that you know your neighbors. It's 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 good that you know. You want to know um people and stuff. I think that's that's awesome. But like there are people who do that and they're called cops. Luke, I'm telling you, the concealed carry holster, it goes right on my appendix. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Can a man take a walk around the neighborhood anymore without being accused of toxic masculinity? No, that's not what I'm Can saying. Can a man not what find I'm someone who looks different than him and rough him up? <laughs> And not no. be called toxic masculinity. I, I, and, and, like, this is the thing that sucks is I mean true toxic unmasculinity. I don't mean, like, I'm, I, I mean, like, 
I, I don't want to. I, I uh, gosh, I wish I could talk. More. I, I, I might ask these people if I can talk about this on here for this because I think it does kind of apply. But I mean, like the messed, 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 messed up kind that is like we are. We, it's it's hard to comprehend until it's explained to you. Not the kind that people talk about on Twitter. I don't even know if that's the right word for it, but it just. I really do. I really do hate that phrase, but I understand like for me, the, the phrase toxic masculinity is what we used to say machismo means, right? Like, yeah, yeah. where, where you, you're, you're actually so insecure with what, with what and who you are, you have to be on the edge of violence all the time in order to assert, assert, assert. I mean, where you, uh, you make your kid patrol your, um, property with an AK 47, like, that's what I mean by that. Oh, so we've gone all the way to ISIS. Okay. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah, but like, like that kind of but, – and I'm not saying – listen, I'm, I'm not saying that that's what you're doing or you're even – or you're even almost close to that. But just like – I'm just saying like it um, – I know how you are. <laughs> and <laughs> – I'm just kidding. And uh, I just, just, just be careful with it. That's all. Like, what a- if, mm-hmm. what if I drive up to Dayton and I just do a security audit of your neighborhood? <laughs> I look for weak points. <laughs> and I, I, I look listen, for vulnerabilities. Listen, I don't even think that is necessarily bad. That like you want to like you know secure your house. Like I I do, I do that for like I do that for Aaron every night. I'm, I always um, double check the doors. Because even though they know that they're locked, but she always wants me to, and I, you know, like I, I do all the stuff because she's going to ask me, and I, I think that's, I think that is a good thing. I just think be careful, and I don't even think it's bad if you want to take the occasional um, walk around your neighborhood or something. But I, I'd say where I would be careful at is when it gets to the point of like this is mine to protect, like this is my <laughs> home, I must defend it. <laughs> Go. And then you have like a bunch I'm of full, I've gone full people. Macaulay. Yeah, I've gone exactly. full Macaulay. Exactly. <laughs> First, then you then you like set up all these traps and then have some macaroni and cheese that you're not not able to finish. <laughs> <laughs> Why are your door handles all insanely hot? <laughs> and they have an M on them. It's very weird. Where did you get so many micro machines? Mr. Gormley, why did you put it right next to your windows? Why is every house in here playing angels with filthy souls? <laughs> Where did you secure so many cardboard cutouts of Michael Jordan attached to a, a choo-choo train? Where did you get all those? Every 90 minutes, why do you have a why do you pay a pizza guy to come? I come to your house, drive up, knock over a statue, drop off a pizza in the back and then scare him with the, with the movie and firecrackers. <laughs> Where did you get so much tar? Where did you get so much tar to put on those basement <laughs> stairs? That is a lot of tar. Who has that in their suburban house? <laughs> Home, oh, Alone, Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. That's going to be me and Shannon's uh, Sexy Vacation 2022 <laughs> slash can Toxic I, Masculinity Edition. Yes, you better be the first lady. <laughs> Luke is there. <laughs> I got COVID again. <laughs> This one's the bird flu. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I'm going to be a mix between Tim Curry, Rob Schneider, and that and the bird lady. Who knows what (laughs) win? Perhaps all three at once. (laughs) Oh, shit. It's 11.03. Ah.
I miss my watch. I got to go, Luke. I got to go patrol. Adios. <laughs> I got to go relieve my wife. She's been outside with her AK this whole time. <laughs> All right. Um, can I do many? I'm going to tell you the story. Do you want me to tell you the horrible yes. story later? Okay. Yes. Tell me so, the horrible oh, story. Oh, I want to th- uh, uh, thank you to all of our sponsors. Thank you to BetterHelp. Thank you to... Thank you to the Bible Binge. Such great people. Tune in. The Bible Binge. We're very excited about that. And uh, again, I'm going to thank you to our friends over at Stereo. See you on almost Sunday night on that app. Uh, 10 p.m. Eastern Time. There are going to be links on all of our social medias for that. So, bye. We love you all long time. Hello, Luke and Gomer from Louisville, Kentucky. This is Emily. And I'm glad to hear that Luke is feeling better. And Gomer, I want to know how many more pairs of tactical pants you have. (laughs) All right, Emily, here's the truth. I have purchased no more pairs of tactical pants because I had to save all my money to buy a gun. So now I own a gun. I am a gun owner. I feel very weird. I feel uh, all over the place with it. But uh, the pants, <laughs> at least now do they you, have a home. <laughs> do you do you have like weird odd tinglings in different parts of your body? Uh, yes. By different parts of your body, you mean my right hand as I try to grip a Glock with my tiny little, <laughs> tiny little baby hands. What could possibly go wrong here? I shot my foot. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember when you were, um, uh, when you almost like cut, cut your face when you were first started woodworking? Yes. When my face almost fell into a table saw. I do remember that. Yeah. I, I do feel like you're going to have the a... first time. <laughs> I, the first time I ever used the chainsaw, I was trying to get it started and it caught when I was pulling the, you know, the, the starter and it picked mm-hmm. <laughs> I wasn't kneeling on it like you're supposed to. And it caught and swung up and smacked me in the leg. So uh, don't have a good track record with things that could kill you. <laughs> you really don't. Uh, listen, just uh, just give me enough time to put it to put an insurance policy on you for the podcast. Thank okay? you. That's all I ask. Yep. The most important. Hi, it's oh, Jen from Albuquerque, New Mexico. Albuquerque. Hello, Jen. That Wait, is like you- my third home. Have you ever mm. heard of Albuquerque by Weird Al Yankovic? Um, you know, I probably have, but it's been a while that I don't remember. You should invest in it. Weird Al is one of those. He's so interesting because he, everyone goes through a Weird Al phase when they are in um, junior high school. Then you have this other phase when when uh, you're an adult, when somehow you get introduced to a uh, um, Weird Al again, and you go, oh, that's right. He's really, really, really funny and really creative and really good. But then you never quite do a deep dive the way that you want to. Right. So I think I need to do a deep dive to Weird Al. We're getting tons of these. Sup, boys? This is Jim from New Jersey. (laughs) Hope all's good. (laughs) That's amazing. Jim, I hope you're real. (laughs) That makes me very happy.